Welcome to the Rise of the Challenge podcast. Joining today, he's the CEO and founder of Nutrition Dynamic and New Ethics Formulations. It's Vince Pitstick. How are you doing today, Vince? I, I'm doing well. It's a pleasure to meet you, Alex. We're so excited to have you on the show to talk about your rise to the challenge. What we like to do with all of our guests is go right to the beginning. Talk about where you're from and what you like doing growing up. Yeah, I've, I've got a chance to listen to some of your stories. And so hopefully uh, your listeners are, are, are buckled up because they're in for a wild ride. <laughs> uh, yeah, so uh, fundamentally, I was born, I was a farm boy. Uh, I was uh, born out uh, in the middle of uh, middle of Illinois, kind of actually closer to Chicago, I guess you could say. So northern central Illinois. Um, grew up on a farm working hard from very, very, very early age. Um, but early in my life, um, my family, um, you, you learn early on that your parents, um, they are, uh, imperfect adults. Uh, and they, my parents made a lot of mistakes early on. Um, and, uh, it ended in a pretty nasty divorce where I was pulled away from like the farm dynasty that I was supposed to be the heir apparent to, let's put it that way. In farm families of larger farm organizations, that's if you have a boy, usually the boy is going to be like the heir apparent. But there were a lot of problems there. And so I got shipped off into uh, a place called uh, Bloomington Normal, Illinois. And uh, there there ensued a lot of the challenges that um, we would face. My mother would go through quite a few um, issues through her life with uh, domestic violence Um a uh, very insane, unmanageable childhood, if you to put it lightly. Uh, I became kind of the her husband at age seven, wow. uh, if you think about it like that. But uh, as she went through, uh, my mom, you know, which I learned later, I'm a lot like her, had a lot of addictive behaviors, and she was a codependent. She got into very codependent, violent relationships. It was a it was a it was a pattern for her. Uh, she had also uh, had OCD like behavior, and a lot of that had passed down. Uh, into me. So right around eight years old, I start having pretty strange conditions, uh, got pretty sick and uh, couldn't quite figure out what was going on. Um, couldn't trust my thoughts, didn't know what was going on, didn't know what was real and what was fake. Um, and they we started seeing doctors and, you know, this is, I'm 39 years old now. Um, and this was again, 31 years ago. So there, the medical system's understanding of medical uh, mental health was very, very, uh, new, let's put it that way. Um, and, uh, you know, I went to a lot of different doctors and nobody could really tell me what was wrong. Many thought it was just behavioral. I mean, there were, there were, you know, there were teachers that just said I was a bad kid. Oh, and you know, that whole thing. And, um, you know, it started in a lot of different behaviors. And then finally, um, at eight years old, it's very rare for, young boys to get a severe form of, of, um, like OCD and, and, um, um, like, like, um, they would, they would kind of called it like, um, like a subtle dementia, you could say, or like basically like, um, uh, delusional disorder. So like, basically I would have, you know, my thoughts were very fantasy like, and I was, lost in a world of what I didn't know was real or what was fake. If that makes any sense to your listeners, I don't know. I think your listeners can probably identify with there's probably two voices in your head and there's one that lies to you. And then there's an intuition that tells you the truth. And when you meet massive challenge and and night after night of domestic violence and all the different traumas and challenges that I went through as a young man, 
I think you face those voices very, your innocence goes away sooner and you start facing uh, the inner voice very early as you grow up too fast and you don't know what's real and what's not. And you're trying to make sense of it. Now at the time, I don't understand this and it led to other physical ailments. I always had gut issues. I always had stuff going on. I was very, my body was really stressed out. Well, their only option was medications and medications at that time were uh, archaic at best. Uh, they did more harm than good. I would go into these psychiatric clinics and I would look at the kids sitting around me. Like they were either like out of it or drooling on themselves or in the corner. And I'm like, I told my mom, I'm like, mom, I'm not taking these meds. And my mom was like, son, you don't have to. Cause I was really scared, you know? Um, and that's kind of, I think where the journey started because I watched so many people try to take different alternative medications and, and have problems. And I just inherently knew that there was probably something wrong with these mood or mind altering medications for me at the time. And so we traveled, I mean, we had the number of counselors, therapists, doctors, holistic uh, practitioners that I went and saw to try to solve the, the problem. Um, I learned a lot about a lot of things. And um, through that process, um, I overcame it through the right kind of therapy, uh, getting my nutrition changed, living a more active lifestyle, um, and, and, and trying to live it. Now, what they don't tell you is that people that have, uh, severe OCD, uh, probably shouldn't take drugs, Alex. I don't know if you know this or not, but they are addicts in waiting. <laughs> They're already obsessive and, uh, majority of addict obsessive compulsive disorder that get heavy into drug use do end up becoming uh, drug addicts, you know, or, or addicts of some kind. Right. And so as soon as I got a little bit older, I still didn't feel comfortable on the inside. And I found the solution in drugs. The minute I would put alcohol or cocaine in my body, all of a sudden I felt calm. My brain would calm down. So really what I was doing is even though I had stopped the compulsive behaviors, I still hadn't solved the deep issue on the inside and as you're growing up as a teenager and you're very unsure of yourself, the minute that you can put something in your body and put all of that at ease, I thought I had found the solution, right? And it seemed fun, you know? And, you know, people liked you when you did that stuff. And so yeah. I really wanted to be liked, you know? And because uh, I was so out of it for so long. I mean, I lost I lost all my younger years to OCD. I didn't, I didn't have the friends that other people had had because it, it stole that from me for a decade. And unfortunately, that turned into pretty severe drug addiction for, again, I battled that for another 10 to 15 years looking for solutions on how to beat that. And uh, so over this time, I'm learning so much about mental, emotional, spiritual healing. And I had also got into nutrition. I had gotten into the one thing that I got good at while I was trying to overcome these conditions was the gym. The gym was one of the first things that made me feel confident in myself. It's something I could do consistently. I saw positive return from it. Um, I could continue to progress in it. And it showed me that I was capable of a lot more because when I was young, again, everybody thought I was going to be the miracle kid. I was the good kid. I was like the kid that was going to take over everything. And then in this crazy turn of fate, I'm now the black sheep. I've been through all these mental disorders. Maybe I'm a loser. I'm a failure. Nobody likes me. Nobody wants me, that whole thing, you know? And that was the narrative that controlled my life for quite a long time. And so now I'm at this place where I'm about 26, seven years old through the process of 12 step recovery, finding my spiritual connection, 
and through a proper balance of like the gym and nutrition, um, I really started to recover. Now there were a few relapses in there, but I really got serious about my recovery. I soon began to realize that the things that ail people, um, were multidimensional, Alex. So mind, body, spirit, like most people's physical issues started with a lifestyle behavior that started with a thought process that was poisonous or toxic or the narrative was incorrect. And they feel very uncomfortable with themselves. And so when they feel uncomfortable with themselves in the world, they'll begin to find actions and behaviors that soothe and ease that discomfort. They might not even be sure where that discomfort's coming from. They might not even be conscious of the discomfort. It's just a state of being they have come to know to be their life. And so then we develop behaviors. Those behaviors then later cause physical disease. And, and so when I decided once I got better that I wanted to dedicate my life to helping people because I know what it's like to be the boy that nobody liked and wanted that felt alone, that felt um, cast out, that, that no one could tell them what was wrong with them most of the time. And I think a lot of people, if they really got honest with you, don't fully understand themselves. I think there's parts of their lives that they keep from other people, even their closest people, because to suggest it or to say it out loud, whether it's physical, whether I'm whether I'm doing a behavior or I'm thinking about something unmanageably, people don't want to let that out because that would suggest that they were weak or you might reject them or or whatever. And so the they hold it in. And when you hold this stuff in, it grows in the dark and it leads to wrong belief systems, wrong narratives and bad behaviors that do harm to your, both your mental and physical state. And so I wanted to help others. And so I got into the first thing. It was easy for me to get into personal training. Right. And just to give people an idea, you know, and maybe you want to cut this into the beginning. I, I forgot to share this. This story is about a real how a really sick kid ends up growing one of the largest online health networks that the country has ever seen in the United States. That's what the story is about. And I didn't know it at the time. Right. I, I just wanted to help people and be of use. And I, honestly, I just wanted to be liked, you know, like I just wanted people to like me. And so I get into personal training and I have a natural gift for it because I understand the psychology. I know what makes people work. Remember, I spent over 20 years digging into my brain and my therapist brains, right? And so even though I'm not some licensed practitioner, I've been certified by life, right? So I got that, I got that real training that I know because I've been to the darkest dips of hell. You know what I'm saying? And later on, science comes to prove that those people are more effective at helping others than doctors because of something called mirror neurons, which is a cool part of science. We'll talk about it another time. But I think the important thing to understand is what happens from there is I just end up having this natural gift of being able to help people overcome what they have going on. But what I realized is people were coming to me. Let's take Mrs. Jones comes in. She's 50 pounds overweight. She's super stressed. She's in a codependent relationship. She has an imbalanced worldview of herself that her self-worth is only based on her value to others by her output, right? So if I don't produce, I'm not valuable, right? And so to quell that fear, she's taking a lot of caffeine. 
Maybe she's taking a fat burner to suppress her appetite. She's drinking, you know, coffee maybe every day. Her body now gets UTIs a lot. So she takes antibiotics here and there. Doesn't think anything of it. Maybe goes on an anxiety medication, right? Or something like that. All of these things impact your body metabolically. And they start throwing you off, particularly women, because women are more hormonally complex than men. So now Mrs. Jones is is standing in front of a personal trainer. She has no idea what's wrong with her other than what she can see physically, which Mm -hmm. is the 40 pounds. And she doesn't feel very good. And more importantly, she's sick and tired of being overweight and being trapped in a body that she doesn't like. Because she doesn't like herself, Alex, but she thinks it's just the weight is going to make her like herself. Okay? So she's coming to a personal trainer who only works with the musculoskeletal system. You can see how that might not be a full circle answer to Mrs. Jones's problem. Would you, would you agree, Alex? I agree. Yeah. Right. So what I recognized early on was that I didn't want to be a trainer. I didn't want to be a nutritionist. I wanted to be the answer because I knew what my story was. And I know all the different variables that are actually involved in fully healing. And I knew that if I just gave Mrs. Jones a workout plan, I would fail her in the big picture. I might win the war or the battle. I'll lose the war. So I began to commence on a journey. And remember, I'm like 24 at this time. I don't know how to get other modalities of healing together. I don't know how to do. I just have a desire to like solve bigger problems for people. And what I realized is at this time, uh, horm- uh, endo- like H- hormone replacement therapy was becoming popular. Functional medicine, this word I just started hearing about. Stress management, people didn't even know anything about that. All the mindset work that might go with it. So I, and then nutrition and supplementation. This is about, remember now, this is now about 18 years ago when it just became okay for women to go into the gym. Before the the cardio and women, that was all they were allowed to do. But there was a bit of a liberation that happened where women weights for for the girls too, right? So I, in the, in the, place that I worked, there was chiropractors, there was um, Reiki, there was uh, hormone specialist. And what I did is I created a program that I did the nutrition and supplementation and the training and the mindset work. And then my program got them access to all those doctors. And I created a system and it took off. And I started working with some reality TV stars. And I started working with some different people in the Chicagoland area. And I got really big, really fast. Now, an opportunity came by because uh, Metagenics, Metagenics is a global health organization and they bring doctors in from around the world and they, they figure out how to heal diseases naturally, okay? And then they teach doctors the methods and then use their supplements called Metagenics. They poached me, they found me. Now remember, I didn't finish my four-year degree. I, had to get, I got kicked out of college during my years of using drugs and then I went back and got my associate's degree and then was working on a finance degree. And then the financial collapse happened. Uh, and it was like, no one's going to give me money. And what am I doing? And so I just jumped out in entrepreneurship, right? Um, best decision I ever made, not for everyone, but for me, it was great. Uh, I wish they would have had a, a degree on entrepreneurship because they don't teach you how to do that in school. 
No. They teach you how to be a good worker in school for other people. <laughs> they don't teach you how to brave your own path and tend your own flock and manage your own, you know, people that count on you to bring, bring, bring business in and keep people in their homes. Um, and uh, so I went, I decided to quit that career and jump into the world of functional medicine. I didn't know a lot about it, but it was medical sales where you're a consultant. And then I got to study under doctors like Mark Hyman, Jeffrey Bland. I learned from books like Amy Myers and I went to all these seminars and conferences because they did all the research and my mind just expanded. Functional medicine is root cause medicine. It's not based on systems medicine, systems medicine. So when you go to a doctor right now, if you're tired and you go to an endocrinologist, they are only working on the endocrine system. That's one system, Alex, in 11. Your body has 11 systems. When I was a personal trainer, all I worked on was the musculoskeletal system. And then I knew as a boy that none of those on their own were going to get it done. You needed multiple systems to work together. So functional medicine says, what's the root cause of the problem? What systems are involved in that root cause? And let's work all of those systems together synergistically to heal. That's what the movement of functional medicine is, but you're not going to find it in your doctor's office that you go to like down the street. These are independent practitioners typically that think outside the box and then you've got to go find them. And I had met a few in my journey when I was younger. Um, I had, I didn't fully understand it at the time, but I'd met them. I went through this amazing experience where my girlfriend at the time had severe MRSA in her face. It almost killed her. And I was taking care of her financially and we kept giving her antibiotics and it kept coming back and we kept giving her antibiotics and kept coming back. It blew my savings. Um, I went to a conference, a functional medicine conference, because I was working for Metagenics at the time. And I met this naturopath by the name of Christy Hughes, still one of my heroes today. Christy spoke for 500 people and I ran up right after I was done. She was talking about detox and infections. And I ran up to her and I said, desperately, hat in hand. I'm like, I've got a really sick girlfriend. Would you please help me? And she was so kind. She spent 20 with minutes, which you didn't have to, 20 minutes with me going through the case and then giving me a play-by-play that I could go home, give her certain foods, give her certain supplements, and it would, it, would, it would heal her condition. And I didn't believe it at first, but I was so desperate. I did it. And I went home and I applied the protocol and... I'm still friends with her to this day, my ex-girlfriend at this time, but she's been MRSA-free her entire life, the rest of her life. um, And and you have to understand that when I saw this, remember, all I ever wanted to be as a kid was of use. Mm -hmm. All I ever wanted to do was help heal people because I knew it was like, and when that moment happened, I remember looking up at God and saying, I'm going to dedicate my life to this forever. This is what I'm going to do. That feeling I got of liberating somebody from a from a from a a prison of unwellness is was better than the high I would get from cocaine or alcohol, right? So it was like, all right, this is the life that I have to live. And so, fortunately, as a functional medicine consultant, I got to study. I became the backup to a lot of doctors. Some of the best doctors in the country, they would call me if they had a functional problem, they needed a nutritional issue, whatever. So I learned how to solve almost every condition in the world, looking at it through the lens of every different kind of doctor, an NP, a DO, an RD, an ND. I worked with them all. 
And I saw how all of them tried to solve a health issue from their perspective. I then took all of that data and I blended it all together where I could work almost all the systems of the body in a simple four-step solution. And I decided to quit Metagenics and open up my own. I figured I can do this on my own, right? I can do this on my own. I don't need a license. I don't need a doctor. As a health coach, I can do this. And I've been certified as a trainer and as a coach before. So I, I jumped out of a cozy job making 100K a year. And I started with four clients in the back of a chiropractic office in Waynesville, Ohio. If you know where that is, I feel bad for you because it's in the middle of nowhere. Okay. From those four clients, I then pursued desperately for 10 years. And as of today, Nutrition Dynamic is a full online medical coaching solution with doctors, dietitians, over 50 coaches, over 1,300 people anywhere in the world at any one time. It is one of the largest new models of we'll call fit med coaching. So it's like health coaching with medical oversight. It's the, it's like one of the largest in the United States, if not, well, with fitness, it's the largest. And then from that, anything that a patient needed or a coach needed to grow and benefit, I created that company too. So there's about eight companies that all make up the vital network with Nutrition Dynamic being the center of it. And uh, like today it works with, uh, it touches about a million people a year through all the different services, whether it's supplements, the apps that we made, um, the coaching companies that we've launched, um, the university where I teach doctors and I can teach a health coach. Anybody listening, if you want to jump out of the career that you're in, into a mission purpose, fulfilling life where you make good money from home, you can be a health coach right now. You can get a certification and you can start seeing people yourself and make over hundred K a year uh, from home. It's a real career. It's growing every day and people had no idea that it exists. And so that's why I travel all over the country speaking, um, telling people my story because I'm not a doctor, but I get to change lives every single day. And uh, by the grace of God, even though I had to go through all those things, those were the things that certified me to be able to help people today. So I would challenge any one of your listeners that if you have survived anything, that makes you certified to help others with the same thing. And that with a little bit of training and a little bit of uh, business acumen behind you, like we do at Metabolic Mentor University, you can have a career from home helping people with the same thing that you survived for the rest of your career. And that's the crazy part about it. And that's what we're all about. Um, coming up on the heels of we have our, we do big conferences that are like Tony Robin, like experiences in the health field for, for anybody who wants to raise their own health or, or help others with their health or build businesses. It's called the hybrid health summit, hybridhealthsummit.com. You can check it out. Uh, we have huge names last year. We had like Shaquille O'Neal. We had all kinds of amazing presenters like Dr. Kerry Jones, Dr. Rob Kamenarik. We had huge names in coaching and in fitness. We had Phil Heath, seven-time Olympia world champion there. And this year, our lineup's even more incredible with coaches and doctors and entrepreneurs all talking about this new age of medicine and coaching that's coming into the future. And uh, it's the 26th to the 28th of January. You can check it out. You guys should come if you want to have an, a life-changing experience. 
and kind of learn, kind of live two minute, two days of my life that was over <laughs> 20 years of getting where we've gotten. So that's, that's my story. And a lot of people ask me, you know, what is, what is the biggest characteristic or what was the biggest gift or the thing that got you here? And I always tell people it was two things. One, it was the pain. So my suffering is what gives me the energy to outperform my competition because they'll never want it as bad as I do because I lived it. So the pain is the purpose, which becomes the prosperity if you let it, right? And then two is my relationship with my higher power, which I call God. Because without faith, I wouldn't have had the consistency to keep going. I mean, there were many years where I didn't really grow, but I had to be patient and consistent, right? Because that's what wins, not who gets there fast. It's who's patient and consistent and doesn't quit you will always be successful, especially if you're working towards a purpose that is greater than yourself, focused on giving and growing to others. You will never fail under that direction. Going back in your story, you talked about going from a farm boy to where you are today. Was there ever that dream job that wasn't either one of those? Yeah. <laughs> what was that dream job? Because it's definitely completely different than where you thought you were going to be to where you are today. I love that question. I, I think that's probably, you know, I'm going to give you credit. That's probably one of the most insightful questions I think <laughs> I've gotten in all the podcasts that I've done. I love that question. So <clears throat> my first, my, my first thing that I ever wanted to be was He-Man when I was really young because <laughs> He-Man was a hero and he was really muscular. That's why I got into bodybuilding. But that's not a career. So then I thought, okay. So then I wanted to be, then, then I moved over and I wanted to be a uh, astronaut. Okay. Right. This is younger now still. And then as I got a little bit older, right. So I probably got, oh, probably got to about 15 and I wanted to be a basketball player, but I stopped <laughs> growing. I stopped growing. And uh, so that didn't happen. Then after that, I thought I was going to be in finance. But listen, the finance thing was total BS. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was not mission-based. If I can give anyone listening a bit of a suggestion, you should choose a mission in life but don't put a direct name to it. Don't get, don't get so specific that you miss the purpose inside of it. For example, it's like my future has to be exactly this type of doctor. I have to be living in this place with this many kids. Don't do that. That's too specific and you'll miss the, the blessing. But you have to be mission-centered. I am here to serve. I want to help the sick. I want to be an, I want to draw art that inspires. I want to, something like that. The, the problem was I was so, because of my mental challenges earlier, it made me more gifted later. Like my thought process and my ability to, to network and understand people because I've been through a lot that I, I didn't know what to pick because people were asking me what and not why. So what do you want to be, Vince? Well, I don't know, right? Well, but okay, all right. Well, 
what is your what what is your why what, meaning that like why would you want to do that and mm-hmm. nobody asked me that like so i picked finance because i looked around the world because i didn't have a mission i started picking things that it looked like other people wanted so when you aren't mission based you will chase what other people want and then you'll get it and be miserable for it so on Instagram, you're scrolling, you're looking at what other people seem to like. And by what other people seem to like, you'll decide is what you want to chase. And it happens in society with salaries, cars, girlfriends or boyfriends, how they want you to look, think of them and, and, and uh, look at them on Instagram. Because the number one driver, the why is significance. Mm-hmm. I want to be significant. But then the other thing, there's like six events. There's six things that drive people uh, fundamentally that you could say there's a million, but there's, you can narrow it down to six. It's growth, contribution, love, certainty, variety, right? And, and then significance. Those are the, the six things that really drive people. And I, I've learned this in, in the mastering of the mindset of the of the uh, of the victor and healing people and helping people grow their businesses. Most people are stuck between two things: certainty, meaning that I don't want to do anything unless I know it works, and significance. Right? I have to be the one. Right? And the problem with that is is that to be significant, you have to take risk, which has uncertainty which goes against your other prerogative. So since people want to be certain and they want to be significant, they pick fake things that they, that they think are easy to get. Like I said, they, they choose looks or the, the, the perception of money. They don't pursue missions like building something, creating something great because it's too risky, right? And so then people get stuck because they didn't ask why, They only chose what I'm going to be an accountant. I'm going to go this, whatever. And that's what I did. I thought, Ooh, accountants make money. Ooh, they wear suits. Uh, I think that would make my mom happy, but why, why would I do that? And I never, I didn't have a why. So mission based, based life asked the why before the what, why would you want to do anything for me? I wanted to be significant, but change the rules of how we uh, judge that. Not significant like I'm going to make a million dollars. Look at me. Aren't I special? I want to be significant because I could help people in a way other people couldn't. Significance, if if you're driven by significance and it's focused on you and what you can do for you, it becomes toxic, right? So if I am worried about me all the time, So I need to be certain of myself. I also need you to like me and I want to be significant in other people's eyes. It turns toxic. But if you have, if you change the rules of what significance means, and that means that you want to leave an impact on others, if you use it to serve others rather than yourself, significance is one of the most beautiful drivers in the world. And I learned that very early on because when I just served myself, I used drugs, I hurt people, and I had to go to rehab. But when I served others, I became unlimited. 
right? When I was giving to others all the time, I never wanted for anything. I always had a roof over my head. I always had food in front of my plate. People don't realize that. If you're always giving and growing, you'll never be in scarcity. People think you will because they're afraid. They need to be certain that that's going to work. So they never actually fully surrender to it and try it. But once you do, you'll, 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 never, you'll, you'll never be in scarcity. And so the reason I share that is because most people are so busy trying to be significant that they're, and they do it by figuring out the what they're going to do that makes them significant. They don't ask why it matters and why it drives them. So mission-based living figures out the why before the what. And I would just encourage everyone on here, whatever actions that you're doing, whatever goals that you're pursuing, ask yourself why first. Make sure it's about a mission of something greater than yourself. And if you do that and you continue to live a life of giving and growing, you'll never, you'll never lose. You can't lose. And that's, that's how some broken kid turned personal trainer becomes the, the leader and founder of one of the largest health networks in the United States. That's how that happens. As you were mentioning that, I always viewed it as like a mission statement that you have for yourself, kind of like that, why you want to go do something. And I always think that it doesn't always come to that person right away. Sometimes it might take them years, days, months to really figure out that why, because you might be in a career that you just don't want. And somehow that why or that next step changes the directory into something you're more passionate about. And you see the next step in that vision for you, where for you, you went through that phase with going through addiction, you found personal training, then personal training led to something even higher that you enjoy, but you still enjoy the fitness aspect of it. And I want to talk about that more about you personally. Do you set yourself a goal in the fitness aspect? Do you have that fun challenge that you're up for or you're wanting to do? You kind of mentioned bodybuilding. Did you ever yeah. do a competition? Yes. Yeah. I, I I used to uh, compete nationally. On the, uh, <clears throat> and uh, <clears throat> once, once again, I have to watch myself because I have addictive behavior. And so uh, I got very addicted to it. It became unhealthy for me. It doesn't mean that bodybuilding can't be an amazing tool. I just abuse things. You know, the number two reason the internet's used is for pornography, but internet is still one of the most amazing tools on the planet. Mm-hmm. So a tool can be misused. It doesn't make the tool bad. Right. And uh, so, um, but yes. So what I have discovered is that for an individual to stay healthy, mind, body, and spirit, you must wake up every day. You must accept who you are and love yourself right where you are, but you must pursue a better you. So a position of pursuit, because everything in the natural world, if it does not grow, it begins to die. Mm -hmm. Anything from flowers to trees to, to, you know, bugs, animals, everything, it begins to decay. So, The only way to maintain vitality, general feelings of joy, and and maybe fleeting moments of happiness because it comes and goes with the wind, which is okay. The only way to do that is to take a position in life that when I wake up in the morning, I am going to pursue a better vision of me. But the pursuit of a better vision of me does not mean that I am not enough already. 
Because if you're always chasing a vision of you that's never happened because you're not enough, once again, that comes back to significance and certainty and is toxic. But if I'm enough today and I want to be 1% better tomorrow, that's the position to live your life. Because you're constantly growing, whether it's physically, emotionally, or spiritually, right? And you have to grow on one of those lines in a dynamic fashion. That's why the company, the, the original health coaching company was called Nutrition Dynamic. Because you come in for the nutrition, because you're thinking, I want to improve physically. But the truth to being healthy is living a dynamic lifestyle. What's the definition of a dynamic? Well, if you look in the dictionary, it is multiple variables, ever changing, ever evolving. That is mind, body, and spirit, right? So if I'm not taking on a physical goal, like trying to improve my bench or my aesthetics, I don't try to go for bench anymore. And strength's not really, you know, I'm 39 now. I'm not too, I'm not worried about that. I just enjoy looking my best and pursuing a little bit better of a, of a body and a health. And I just love the process now of just being a part of and, but then I'll pursue maybe a greater spiritual connection for a few months, or I'm going to work on my, my business, or I'm going to work on my um, mental or emotional skills, right? I'm always pursuing a little bit of a better me because that's, what's going to keep me young, uh, healthy and free. And the minute that I stop doing it, the clicker starts of my decay. And that's not acceptable. With all the stuff that you do, have you ever felt burnout? Has it really affected your personal life and where the two kind of conflict with each other? Constantly. Ma mastery is always a process of two ideals butting heads. So this idea of growing and giving and becoming more, but also being still loving yourself where you're at and enjoying the moment that you're in. You have, that's, you're asking, I, I don't know if anyone's going to understand. You have to live in a uh, dynamic state where one, and you only learn this through burning out. Mm -hmm. Cause I burnt out bad. My last relapse was like five years ago. It's been a while now. But I developed that method I told you of healing and it started healing all of these people. Like our method has been tested in over 35,000 people. It is 88% effective within six months of radically changing almost any condition on planet earth, cardiovascular disease, rheumatoid arthritis, autoimmune diseases, infertility, weight loss resistance, um, if I uh, gut issues, hormone imbalance, uh, um, it goes on and on. And when I figured the method out, all of these people started running at me to help them. Right. And I didn't know how to build a company. Then I only knew how to work with my hands hour for hour. And so I just said yes to everything because I still had a scarcity mindset. And if I told you, yes, I might not get the opportunity again. So I better say yes to everything. Well, the problem is, is that now I'm living, my problem isn't scarcity. My problem is abundance. And I don't know how to manage abundance. Like, did you know somewhere in the neighborhood of 88% of people who win the lottery uh, file bankruptcy? Oh yeah. So their problem is not that the world is keeping them down. 
The problem is, is that they cannot manage abundance because it's a pressure and it's a weight and it's a stress. And many of them become morally, um, um, they call it moral, uh, there was a word for it, but basically, let me just say it this way. I'm, it's a little late for the podcast for me, <laughs> but, uh, what happens is they end up, their families blow up, their wives leave them. They become addicted to drugs. They lose their kids. Like it crumbles people. Oh yeah. Right. So now here I am with the power to heal with a lot of money and a lot of opportunity. And I don't know how to manage abundance. I've never had it. So I just, my answer to it was get as much as you can while you can. And so I try to get more and more. And that's what I mean, Alex, about mission-based living is that what happened early on is that it became about more instead of serving. It became about me instead of you. And I didn't mean to do that. I just was unequipped for what was going on. And so I got to the place where I started dipping back into Adderall so I could work more hours, which I knew I shouldn't have been taking Adderall for me. It triggered my, my allergy to amphetamines. And I got a bad batch of drugs that had crystal meth in it. And I didn't even, I didn't end up eating for seven days. I lost 47 pounds in seven days. The doctor said, had I gone one more day, I probably would have had rhabdo and died. Uh, I woke up, the craziest thing, the craziest story is I woke up. They were going to take me to this rehab um, mentorship 12-step program out in California. And I, I took my phone and I took a picture of myself in bed, 47. I, I looked like death. And I said, I'm going to use this picture as a reminder of where I'll never want to be again. And then I'm going to use it to show others what's possible because I'm going to use this moment of pain as my reason to crush and destroy all goals and live the life that I always wanted. And that's exactly what I did. I went out there. I got better. I truly got into deep spiritual recovery. And I came back and everything that I ever dreamed in those three months that I sat out there in, in California, I've already completed in the last five, three to five years. All the companies, all the visions, all of it. So burnouts can be the glaring opportunity that you never knew you needed because you're missing, you're just working for more instead of growing and giving. And if you take that time out and burnout. I think the answers to the things that you're trying to solve by just doing more will come to you and that you'll be able to take actions on those things when you come back and be better than ever. So burnouts can be a jarring experience that actually put you on track, <laughs> uh, believe it or not. And so now living in abundance, I have to just act like I don't have it and stay in a position of I'm just going to wake up and do the best I can today and work towards my, my general mission. And if God takes it all from me today, I remember a world where I had nothing and almost died. So there's nothing that could happen to me today that is worse than what's already happened to me. And so I'm going to be okay. And there's always going to be an answer if I'm willing to remain faithful and stay strong in my beliefs 
And that kind of perseverance makes me very powerful. Not me, myself. I'm not that powerful. Meaning that like, I'm a normal dude who, you know, likes sports and likes to get into dumb stuff all the time. (laughs) But my resolve and my unwavering commitment to a mission makes me deadly to goals, right? So it's not really me. It's these things that, that I, I, when I activate and anyone could do that, they just have to find out through experience. That's what you were talking about. Taking on random jobs. I sure as hell did that. You know, I, my very first job was working on the farm at five. But then after that, like my first like real job, I guess older was, I was, I think it was 15 and I was uh, like a janitor at a, at a, uh, like a mini mart, like a, oh. like, a, like a grocery store. <laughs> and then uh, after that, God, and then I worked at Denny's <laughs> and then, I, and then I worked at Taco Bell. And then I worked at, um, Oh, I, I worked at a Quiznos gas station. Oh, wow. Quizno. That's a, Back <laughs> that's in, I'm, hear old. About. <laughs> I'm old. And then, then I got to work in like post-frame construction at Menards. I took construction jobs. My first business was a construction business and it failed miserably. My second business was a retention wall business and it did okay and then failed. Then I had this online DJ business that I tried. These are things that I tried and failed throughout my drug use. Remember, I'm still trying to heal and recover. Most people are like that too. You start out an incomplete person and you're trying to improve but you're using the evidence that you aren't a perfect person as the reason that you can't progress. And that's not true. Like if you keep working towards goals, even though you have problems, you can still be successful. And then hopefully later on, because of that success, you can become a better person. It doesn't always work that way, but it did for me, you know? And uh, so that, that was it, you know, that was the thing. And then, and then, so those jobs didn't work out. But that's entrepreneurship. You're going to fail four or five times before you get it. There's so much in entrepreneurship. It's like first just getting the work to pay your bills. And then it's like organizing receipts and taxes and driving the car. And then then the the organizational structure, hiring. Oh, my God. It's like there's no manual for this. It's it's like (laughs) you're just – in survival mode for at least two years, you know, and uh, you know, that's, but, but perseverance to a mission. And, and I was pretty committed to the idea that I would work 120 hours for myself instead of 40 for someone else's dream. Imagine if there was YouTube videos that talked about that stuff back when you were in college or in those times. I mean, nowadays kids have like every YouTube video, Google Docs, anything out there now. And it's like, well, some people didn't have that. When you're not working, I mean, you never know. You could bring the DJ business back. I mean, I see the content you put on Metabolic Mondays. I mean, just put a DJ booth right there while you're sleeping. Uh, but when you're not working, you talked about some of the things. What do you like to do for fun? What are people that are listening to this or maybe people that follow you? They don't know you do on your off time. Unless you, you don't, unless work is that all you do. Well, no, you can't. So if I'm going to teach people how to live a life that there's no such thing in entrepreneurship as balance. That's a lie. 
but there is annual resets that you must you must structurally have. So for me, I have a weekly reset, I have a monthly reset, and then I have a seasonal reset. But I do work a lot of hours when I do work. When I do work, I work 14-hour days, six, eh, five, and a, five days a week, and then another eight on the weekends. And then I have like a half day and then a full day. That half day and that full day is completely committed to self-care for the most part, right? Um, I'm, I'm getting connection with family members. I'm, I, I, but every day self-care is built in. I do 45 minutes in the morning, meditation, cold plunge, stretching, light run. Like my day starts with a bunch of tasks before I even get to work because my main tool for success is not my business. It is me. Mm-hmm. I made the businesses, they don't make me. So I don't wake up and run to the businesses. That's a mistake. That's that certainty issue when you're afraid and it's got to work, then you're going to jump things that are are not in natural order. And uh, so I wake up, I teach entrepreneurs how to do this uh, at our university, but I start with a morning prime session. I prime my mind to look for the positive. I make sure I ground myself and have my spiritual connection so that I'm so I'm clear of emotional pull, fear, doubt, anxiety, all the things. I got to clear it. it I, I wake up every morning from the same point of just like nervous and, and fearful and like rushed. Right. Time is an emotion, Alex. Time is an emotion because when you're in a poor emotional state, you never have enough time. Yeah. Right. But if you're in a cool level headed place, there's always time. Time is is real, but it is experienced through the lens of emotion and perspective. Right. Wake up. I never have enough time. There's too many tasks, not enough to do. Oh my okay. I know that those are lies. That's what I mean. I learned that through my training with OCD. I can I have learned to identify thoughts that are not my own, that are being driven by emotions. And then intuition that's whispering to me something consistently throughout the day or through my life. Being able to separate those through something we call the inner observer, which is something that they would talk about in maybe like a cognitive behavioral therapy where you would split yourself into two and you would have a conversation with yourself about an emotion you had and you would debate whether that was a good, like the truth or not the truth. Is this, should I validate? People don't do this and they truly should. Every thought that you have, the first thing that you should do is go, is that a real and is that useful? Is it intuition or is it emotional pull? I think most people just hear a thought in their head and they just let every one of them pass through. And you definitely shouldn't do that. You need to, you need to like the military, put up a guardrail a thought comes in and you need to verify it. it's passport. Yeah. You need, you need to make sure, hold on a second. Cause I, my condition, I suffer. I don't know about you, but your listeners, I suffer from a condition called first thought wrong. <laughs> right. So it's like, it's like when I wake up in the morning or if you say something to me, my first thought, I can, I can just toss that one out right away. Cause I already know it's full of a bunch of emotional BS. We're just going to toss that. Right. Your, you know, your wife or your, husband or whoever says something to you there's there's all kinds of things connected to that that ain't got nothing to do with the truth so we're going to toss that out what's my second thought 
Ah, maybe I need to get rid of that one. Maybe I'm really upset today. It could be the fourth, fifth, or sixth, or seventh thought that I have that I go, oh, that one checks out. I'm going to trust that one. I'm going to go with that. And so I have to do that in the morning, and I have to do that throughout my day. And if I don't, I I, I fall to the trap of my emotions or piss-poor perspective, and I make poor decisions, and I, I treat people poorly. And I don't want to do that today. You know, I, I try to live in a, an emotionally sober lifestyle. Uh, spiritually fit is probably a better word for it as well, but we also call it emotional sobriety. Uh, but I start with a lot of self-care in the morning. Now, I work hard and play hard. I still, I still, I love my sports, UFC, football, big, big on that. I love my fitness. So I'm in the gym three or four days a week. Um, and then I have a tight nip group of friends that are people that are typically more talented than me in one area of life that inspire me. I hang out with artists and singers and they might not be popular, not the point, but I always put myself around people that expand my mind and get me to believe that I can achieve the things that I see in my mind. If I'm hanging out in a group and I have a lot of friends and family and loved ones, and I, you know, I still reach out and connect to them, but I'm not hanging out with them all the time. In my friend group, if I'm the most accomplished person and we're spending a lot of time together, that's a problem in my belief system. Because if I'm trying to grow, I need to put myself around people that inspire me that are doing better than I am in certain places. Not necessarily financially or I'm talking spiritually. I'm talking physically. I'm talking anything that I can learn to grow from and be inspired from. And I think a lot of people love their hometown friends and hanging out with them because they're the best one in their friend group. (laughs) I, I used to do that. I used to hang out with my idiot friends. I still love these guys today. You know what I mean? I call them up. What's going on? Just, you know, chop it up. But I'm not, we're not going to spend a lot of physical time together because your behavioral patterns will wipe off on me. Mm -hmm. You are as successful as your five most, uh, five most closest people that you spend the most time with typically physically. That's why you have to be careful in the work environments that you're in. Cause you can go to work every day and you don't realize that the people that they hire are the people most influencing you because you're spending the most physical time with them. Right? So work environments can make people very, very toxic, even though you're going to work, which is supposed to be a good thing. So anyways, those are, those are the things that I do. Um, and then I love learning. So I'm always, I'm learning, you know, I love like mindset training, NLP from Tony Robbins. I'm learning about different mindset tools. I'm learning about different business tools. I I just love that stuff, you know, and um, I pick up too many hobbies and I have to drop them sometimes. Like I just picked up relearning Spanish and I just didn't have the time for it. I used to take it back in the day. So I'll do that. You know, I'm the typical, uh, you know, sometimes I add too much to my plate and I got to back off. You know, that's just how it is. You know, (laughs) you can't be perfect. Like I haven't taken Spanish since high school. And I'm like, I don't know, like the important phrases <laughs> that people know. And that's about yeah. it. But like, yeah. I've kind of been in those similar situations where I, I always have this vision. I want to do 20 different things and then nothing happens. But the world is, there's, I got time. I figured yeah. out, making the time. But the final question I'll ask you for someone that's listened to this interview based on your journey and experience, 
What tips or advice would you give them to overcome obstacles, accomplish their goals, and rise to the challenge? Before you get into anything too big picture, my my best advice, right? My best advice is you have to take action. You You said it earlier, Alex. You don't really know who you are until you try stuff. Because by trying stuff, you figure out what you don't like. And then by figuring out everything you don't like, you'll figure out what you like. And by figuring out what you like, you'll find out more about who you are. That's the truth. Life is not, life is not so obvious, meaning that like what other people like and what looks good on them probably doesn't look good on you. Right now, I don't mean go try heroin and like other extreme things. Yeah, not that. Right, right. It has to be something positive and about growing and, and giving. Right, but the problem with people is this: they're afraid to fail because what they do is they get an idea and they tell it to their family and their friends, and they shoot it down. If you want to kill a good dream, tell it to a small-minded person. And the people that are most likely to shoot down your dream is the five people closest to you. Oh, you sure you want, is that a real job? Go get a, go get a job like your brother. Why don't you just do what your sister does? Uh, no one else does that in this community. That's a really weird dream. You're a weird person. Like whatever it is, they don't mean it out of negativity or hate. But those people don't understand it because your dreams and visions are given to you. They weren't given to your mother or your father or your friends. It was given to you. If you have a deep desire on the inside of yourself to do something, that was in a mission that was implanted in you by a power greater than you, which I call God. And I don't care where people's faith is at. You don't have to have massive faith, faith for this to work. I don't care what you call them, you just do got to call them. Okay. And it can't be you. That's the thing about God, <laughs> right? That's, that's all I'm going to say. And then the rest, you know, you'll figure out on your own. But the truth is, is that whatever you feel called to do on the inside, it's a whispering intuition that you, you ignore, you deny, you, you're afraid of, you try to forget that thing inside of you is the map to what's going to make you ultimately healthy, happy, and successful. So what I would say to you is that if you have a desire on the inside and you start trying things, taking actions, not being afraid to fail, you're going to find something called your gift. That was me. My gift is influencing others to bring the best out of them. And I didn't know that at the time. I just knew that I could when I was a personal trainer, I just knew how they, I could manipulate people positively to buy my packages and then go work out, right? I didn't understand that that was a gift to change people's lives for the better. I didn't understand that. But a gift is something that you do with the min most minimal amount of effort and gets the maximal amount of outcome. Let me give an example. I was passionate. I told you about basketball. I was not gifted at it, right? I was passionate about other sports. I was not gifted at it. 
However, when I walked into a gym and I told someone how to pick up a weight and then all of a sudden they were crushing it using that weight, it was a minimal effort that got maximal outcome. And I see the most successful people in the world. They're not the smartest people. Most success is done with non-cerebral skills, right? Not how well I can read the dictionary and recite it or apply it, but taking action on things and finding your gift. If you make the best cheeseburger in the world, or if you cut grass better than everyone in your community, if you just keep cutting that grass and don't give up and stay consistent, then you'll be the head of a million dollar organization that has six different teams cutting grass. And you're going to look intelligent, successful, and that's going to put you around other intelligent, successful people that will then propel you to whatever you want to do. So my gift was getting people to bring the best out of themselves. And then it turned into, once I became successful doing that, it turned into a huge healing network, which I could have never made the connection when I was a young man. All you have to do is find your gift, which means try everything, try it twice. And the thing that you can do with the most minimal amount of effort that gets you the maximal amount of outcome, find it. It may not be what you're passionate about, but passion ain't got nothing to do with it. Your gift will make room for you. And then all of a sudden you'll look successful for doing that. And it will get you in other brackets and other, um, in, in other wealth gaps. It will get you into rooms with people that can get you into anything that you want to do. So that's how you can go from a expert cheeseburger maker to like, owning a restaurant and a business and then writing a book. Do you see what I'm saying? It, you just got to find, and every human being was born with a gift. God didn't make one of us the same. Every one of us has a gift. Mine, again, mine came from the pain. God put me through or allowed me to go through so many messed up things in my life. All the violence, I got molested. There's all, I don't care. I'll tell the whole story. Right. But that all created a mental trap that allowed me to be strong. And then I found the gift because then I could translate that into others. Then I took the gift. I kept doing it every day and didn't quit for years. And then I looked successful. I then became successful. It then put me around other successful people who opened doors for me to do anything that I want to do. And that's how you escape if you ever really desire escaping where you are and to get to another place. That's the exact map. I can't make it any simpler. It is truly the answer if you look to want to send your life and and make ultimate impact. Well, Vince, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about your rise to the challenge. You're inspiring so many people, and we are excited to see what the future looks like for you. Thank you, man. Appreciate you, Alex. Tune in next time, hear my next guest talk about their rise to the challenge. Remember to follow, subscribe on all major audio platforms, and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel through the full-length episode and video format. What path do you take to accomplish your goals? You decide.